turn in your Bible to Titus chapter 3. So the T's are all together near the back of the New Testament. So once you get to some of the T's, you're in the right place. But I want you to get there on your phone, iPad, computer, or old school Bible. If you have committed Titus chapter 3 to memory, you are exempt from going there. But I want you to look at it. I want you to see the scripture this morning. And I'm just going to start by reading the passage. While you're turning there, this isn't a Bible speed quiz, so you have time. Get, get to, the, to, to Titus 3. Let me just make a couple of, uh, of announcements. One is this. An important step, a mile marker in your faith walk is to get baptized. And Jesus modeled baptism for us. He got baptized. Um, and he left this great commission that we are going to all the nations, preach the good news, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's what we do. Um, right behind this screen is a, baptism, a baptismal. And um, we are going to be doing an exploring baptism class in two weeks on, on June 27th. And for those wishing to go forward in the step of baptism, we're going to be having baptisms on the 4th of July. How cool is that? That seems really fitting. We just sang about our freedom, about our liberty that we have in Christ. What a cool thing to just, to just go under and be dead to the old man and raised to the newness of life. So that's coming up, June 27th, um, for those of you exploring baptism. Next Sunday, we are going to have two services indoors, um, and we're going to be going back to more full capacity. So brace for that, plan on that. We're super excited about it. Um, we have enjoyed outdoors so much that we may go outside once in a while at will. We'll warn you, but it'll probably do like a second service outdoors once in a great while. We've just enjoyed it out there. But honestly, today is going to be a great advertisement for coming indoors to air-conditioned. If you're watching right now, it's really cool in here. We have all the shade that we need, and it's amazing. So that'll be next Sunday. Let me just give you this update as well. We've been praying for our next hire, a new pastor. Uh, and I just would ask you, continue to pray for that. We've been really excited about how God's been leading the process, how he's been leading our elders. Um, as elders, one of our most important roles is not only being disciples of Jesus Christ and being the leaders God's called us to do, but choosing leadership. Who we put in front of our church, the under shepherds to the chief shepherd, is one of our most important roles. So we take that with great responsibility and a great seriousness, but there's also been just a lightness to the process. Every single week, our youth group meets together and we pray for our new pastor coming in. We just say, God, would you lead the right man to this um, group of people? And that's been really precious to be a part of. And we can't wait to see what God's going to do with that. Um, on that note, by the way, youth ministry is thriving. We are having uh, just a ton of, of middle school and high school students um, each and every week. It's been really, really incredible. We took a two-week break to give them some focus on finals, and they all wanted to keep going. They're like, don't stop, uh, but we just kicked things back off again last Tuesday, and it was really good. So Titus chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, okay? One of the, th one of the things that is true anytime, if you have enough humility, you can learn from anyone teaching the Bible if the Bible is open and you have the Spirit of God in you. If the Bible's open and we're reading Scripture, you have something to gain here today. The most important words you will hear this morning, maybe all day, 
are about to be said out loud to you. This is the eternal word of God being spoken over you. Titus chapter 3, verse 1, follow along. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But, verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of, the, of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Church, we are living through extraordinary times right now. We all know this. We all know we've been living through a year of history that will be talked about for generations to come. Today, we take time to carefully devote ourselves to good works and to seek out God together. We have, some of you, been been forced kicking and screaming into this, but we now live our lives with um, pretty phenomenal machines living in our pocket, sitting in front of us, sitting on our desk, sitting on our nightstand, and they're kind of with us everywhere, and they don't always work. What is the go-to fix when something electronic isn't working? You turn it off, and you turn it back on, right? You do a restart in some way. So these come in a variety of strengths. First, like just consider the, the, the simple power off. Okay, the simple power off is, I don't know, turn it off and turn it on. Sometimes that solves the problem, right? Uh, I don't know, unplug it, plug it back in. Turn off the car, turn it back on. I don't know what just happened, but it didn't work, now it works, right? That's the extent of some of our fix-it. We're like, that's all we know to do. That is a great go-to. That will fix some of your things. You're your own IT person. Just do that and, and start it off. That'll be probably a good thing. 
Here's what's interesting. People have a hard time not acting like the machines they invent. God gifts us and models for us a power off. It's called Sabbath. In six days, he created the world. What did he do on the seventh day? He rested. That's a power off. He didn't do it once a year, once a decade. He did it every single week. He instructed his people to do it every single week. People have a hard time not acting like the machines they create. Work six days, good. Rest one day, good. We see the effects of messing with this formula, don't we? Work seven days, no rest. How does that work out? Eventually, terrible. Horrible for you. But how about inverting the problem? Rest six days and work one day. How many people in our society right now are thinking that is their heaven? That's their nirvana. That's their happy place. If I could just work six days and only, I mean, rest six days and work one, I promise you that's terrible. We are not made to rest six days and work one when we're in our able-bodied years. So when you ignore this thinking, you ignore or you think that work is cursed. And so you sort of work toward a whole bunch of rest and it leaves you bad. Some ignore this to their own peril by working nonstop, just like Hamilton, right? They just go and go and go. And then they get mad at those who aren't always on. Let me give you an example. Ever need a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A on Sunday? I do. I want a plethora of sauce choices. I want my waffle fries and a chicken sandwich. Chick-fil-A is famous for saying, my pleasure. My pleasure is for you to be open so that my every dining whim is met any day I want. Don't take Sunday off. People who go nonstop get mad at those who don't stop. In fact, in this valley where I was born and raised and cultivated, we breathe the air of productivity as if that is the pinnacle. How are you doing? Busy. Oh, good for you. That means you must be important. That means, that means you must be needed. That means you must be valuable. Ever say, I'm really balanced. I've got my work, but I've got my rest. That, I, don't, I never hear that answer. That may be true, but I never hear that answer. How are you doing? I'm just swamped. I'm just busy. I'm just running like, you know, crazy. All right, the simple power off. How about this? What if powering off were done with regularity, whether or not we felt the need for it? What if we didn't just power off reactively, like something is wrong, but rather proactively? In other words, let's keep things going right. Man, that's Sabbath. Now, after the simple power off, what do you do? You do a reset or a reboot, right? And listen to this language. This language is really interesting. There's a soft restart and a hard restart. Man, that's kind of telling. Sometimes your phone or laptop needs a minor timeout, right? Okay, this time, computer, it's just a soft reset. We're going to try that one first. But other times it needs serious discipline because it is not obeying you anymore. I'm sorry, Siri, but it's time for some tough love. You're getting a hard restart. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And we restart our Siri, our phone, our computer, right? Why? Because it is not obeying us anymore. It is not functioning properly. Here's the question. 
Have you ever been subjected to a hard restart? You know, parents subject their kids to this all the time. God does too. Hebrews 12.10. These are all in your notes, by the way. I want you to go back. This week is just so chock full of amazing scriptures. Go back in your, in your notes this week and just read these scriptures. But here's Hebrews 12.10. Listen. For they, parents, were, or earthly parents, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, does it for our own good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Here's the principle I want you to remember this morning. Ready? Pain in the present can yield fruit in the future. Let me say it again. Pain in the present can yield fruit in the future. Now, I very specifically said can because it doesn't necessarily produce. It doesn't always produce fruit in the future. Not all pain is gain. We know this. So pain in the present can yield fruit in the future. There's more to it than just going through pain. Don't you wish all there was to it is just, I'm in pain, I know there's good things coming. Much of this depends on how you interpret the trial. Who are you listening to in the midst of your pain? When you are tested, what narrative are you believing about the situation? Receive it as from God and look to him as the way through it. And like Job, you will reap a bountiful harvest of good. Now, there are loads of negative examples of that as well, where we listen to the wrong things. You know, I visited some of you during your season of soft and hard reset. Sometimes you've been flat on your back, hooked up to machines. And a common thought is this. You know, I probably should have slowed down. Weekly power off. I neglected that. I kept going and going and going. Even when my doctors, even when other people came and counseled me, man, you should probably power off once in a while. And here I am, flat on my back. It's the mandatory reset. It's been imposed on you because you didn't discipline yourself to it. Sometimes visiting and hearing from people in a hard or soft reset is because it's the painful season of reaping. There was planting in one season, and now it's harvest time. We sow to the Spirit. What do we get? Life. What do we get when we sow to the flesh? Death. It's like the unchangeable principle found in Galatians. Everyone has to go through hard things. Everyone. Not everyone turns to God to see what he is doing and how to cope. Everyone goes through hard things. Not everyone gets through it with a harvest of future good. What are some of the false narratives that are coming to us, whispering in our head, just like our first parents in the garden? Let me give you three categories. Question the goodness of God. You're going through something difficult. God's holding out on you. Does God really have your best in mind? He's telling you no all the time. Why don't you ever get to do anything? How about questioning the power of God? 
If you're a thinking individual and you don't just stuff your feelings, you have questioned the power of God. God, if you're all-powerful and all-knowing, you saw this coming, why didn't you prevent this from happening? Why aren't you preventing it from happening now? The enemy whispers questions of God's goodness, questions of God's power. Here's the third one, questions of God's presence. God, where are you? Where are you in all of this? I thought you promised to never leave me alone. I feel so alone right now. From my vantage point, if you're here, here are the indicators of what it means to have you with me. And I don't see any of those indicators. Where are you, God? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Pain in the present can yield fruit in the future. We're about to sing a song that has this lyric, God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Church, that's the call this morning. We've already been doing it. Let's lift our eyes. God, you're the one we look to in the midst of this. You're where my help comes from. All right, so there's the simple power off. There's the soft and hard reset. Then there is the force restart or reboot. This is when things are locked up in in PC terms. It's control, alt, delete. In Mac, it's just the spinning ball of death. And we all have these like force restart commands at our disposal. I think a force restart is how I would describe the last 14 months, wouldn't you? I mean, deli owners, mayors, parents, pastors, we've all been shut down. We've all had it done at the same time. Not one person on this planet has chosen to do this. It has been forced upon us. Think about this. A worldwide shared trial has just occurred. We have a sense right now that things are beginning to emerge from this trial. So I think this season might be one of the most important seasons in recent memory. When I go visit people in the hospital, here's what I know. There is a window of time when people are in the hospital when they chuck all the silly cares of this world that don't really matter. It's hard as a preacher sometimes in a beautiful place like the Silicon Valley, in a productive, innovative place like the Silicon Valley, where there are so many worldly distractions that to turn people from this life to the next, to think about broader eternal things can be really challenging. Why? Because mom's got to get kid to soccer practice. We've got to get dinner on the table. We've got Disneyland uh, next month. We've got job. We've got bills. We've got all these different things, right? None of them bad. It's the stuff of life. But what happens when in an instant you're sideswiped by a car and in the hospital? What happens when someone that you love is, is in a coma? All of a sudden, you have plenty of time. You have hours and hours and hours and hours and hours in a day, in a week, in a month to sit at a bedside and do what appears to be nothing except be with your loved one. Trials have a way sometimes of opening this window to clear thinking. Right now, do you feel it? We're beginning to emerge from this. We know that statewide, in like a couple of days, they're like, no more masks, no more anything, like just get back to normal. Here's what, here's what I'm challenging us to do. I've been challenging our staff to do this as well. 
We don't want to just go back to normal. We want to lean into what is the fruit in the future. God is leading us forward. So pain in the present can yield fruit in the future. How? How is that possible? Well, here's the, here's the bottom line truth. I don't really know. I don't have the definitive lessons you missed during COVID book, or else I'd write that book and help a bunch of people out. I don't have the definitive answers for that, but I shared with you something two weeks ago. If you give me directions to your house, I may not know where you live, but I know who does. Hey, Siri, get me to Chuck Adams' house. Boop, there it is. Oops. <laughs> There's Chuck Adam right there popping up in my sermon notes. Just kidding. Release. You're good. Go away. Take a break. Always listening. It's kind of creepy. <laughs> so I don't know the directions to your house, but someone does, right? I don't know the lessons forward out of COVID, but someone does. I commend you to God. I commend you to his word. I don't need to memorize all your addresses. I know who knows them. Here's what we're going to talk about this morning. Ben, why don't you come on up? I'm about to break. We're going to take this in two parts. You're like, Dave's never preached a sermon that short. You're right. I'm not done. This is just the intro. I want the band to come on up because we're going to sing. And what I want to do is I want to just kind of give you some opportunity to think through um, some, of these, some of these thoughts and lessons. Series got me all messed up. Let me find my place here. All right. Um, so God is the keeper of time, right? God is the keeper of this story, history. God is the giver of all good gifts. I believe right now has, has been, it already has been going on, and right now today is a tremendous gift being offered to you. A huge gift being offered to you. Now, without ignoring the disruption or the difficulty of this season, this worldwide force reset has us all going back to some foundational questions. There's a huge opportunity in front of us to rethink and reimagine what matters most. Anyone ever notice that priorities must be set and then reset? Why? Because they get out of order. They get shuffled. They get forgotten. So what should we be doing? What should we not be doing? As the world opens up, as your choices open up, what do you allow back in your schedule? What do you not? What do you invest your money in, your time in, your health in, your energy in? What do you, men- what do you invest your mental and emotional energy in? And what do you choose not to Look at our text again if you still have it open. In verse 3, it says, remind them to be, to be, to be. Three different times. Remind them. That means taking time to ponder and think. Verse 2, it says, avoid. There are things to remember. There are things to avoid. Avoid quarreling. Verse 4, remind them of vital truths. He just walks through the gospel. We're not saved by works of righteousness. Don't let that works theology back into your life if that's where you were. Verse 8, be careful to devote themselves to good works. Doesn't that sound like some intense work? 
some intentionality. Be careful. There's a lot of ways to trip up with that. And verse 9 again, but avoid. Christian, there are things to avoid in this season. There's tons to avoid. There's tons to give yourselves to. Who's steering that? Whose voice are you listening to and all that? I want you to use these songs in this time to remember some key truths. Do you know that singing the truths about God back to God are some of the biggest refreshment your soul might need this morning? God, you are good. God, you are sovereign. God, you've got this. It's good to come to God with your needs. I think it's better to start with his character. Just reflecting and thinking and lifting your head. But let's also pray as we move forward, looking to see what God is doing in this season. Say the words of that bridge one more time and consider consider if it would have been worth it to go through everything that you may have gone through in your life, in your family's life. Somehow you had gotten away from your core identity as being the beloved. The Bible says this, we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. What if a part of this force reset was to go back to building your life on this one truth? God, I am loved by you. Does that change what level of enough means? If you're pursuing other things, does it change their importance? I don't really know of any other way to do this myself than to sit with God every single day. And I love to read. I love to write sermons. I love to think theology. I love to sing music. And you know I love adrenaline sports. There's a lot of distractions. I don't know any other way to do this than to sit quietly before God and let his love wash over me. I'm here to tell you, I have come to know and believe the love that God has for me, and it changes everything, everything about my day. What if a part of this force reset is this bridge? I will build my life upon your love. What if that meant something to you in a different season? than it does right now. God, I will build my life on your love. It is a firm foundation. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. I hope if you've discovered some shakenness in your own life that you didn't know was there, that you haven't run and hide from it, that you haven't looked to entertain it away, that you haven't binge watched it away, that you haven't tried to just not deal with it. I hope that this season has forced that to the surface. What I have left for you this morning is already in your notes. They're kind of long and involved points, and I couldn't really boil them down, so I just gave them to you. (laughs) I'm not trying to trick anyone. Before I get to them, let me set it up this way. The Bible shows us that God is not shy about massive 
disruption. Force reset on a massive scale. Talk about a force reset. Consider the Exodus. There's an entire book on it in the Old Testament. Guess what it's called? Exodus. Easy to remember. God is leading his people out from sort of a zombie-like existence where in some ways they've been sleepwalking through life. They were enslaved to Egyptians for 400 years. That's generational slavery. That's generational. Just this is who we are. This is what we do. This is how we live. As I wrote that sentence earlier this week, I thought about our valley. Maybe God is leading some here out of a zombie-like existence, sleepwalking through life. They are enslaved to maybe not Egyptians, but a host of other things. Here's what's interesting. God led them out through lots of pain, hardship, and testing. The gift of freedom came with a price tag, didn't it? It included pain, confusion, wandering, waiting, and a ton of growth. You know what code for growth is? More pain. That's how we grow. After miraculously defeating their captors, God leads his people and he provides for them in very visible daily kinds of ways. Think cloud by day, fire by night, manna for food. I mean, these are visible, tangible, daily reminders. I'm here, I'm providing, I haven't forgotten. What's beautiful is they all trusted in him, they all got along, and they lived happily ever after. Nope, that's not how the story goes for Israel, that's not how the story goes for our country. Instead, they had some real bad days as a people, didn't they? They also had some real bad company in their midst. They had some really bad habits. And they had some really bad theology. After getting his people out of Egypt, God still had to get Egypt out of his people. When the new became hard, they longed for the old. When what was next seemed scary and uncertain, they turned on their leaders, turned on their God, and wanted to turn back to Pharaoh, a really bad dude. When the journey ahead was confusing, they wanted to go back to what they knew. What did they know? Slavery with three square meals a day, a few beatings, but a really, really good routine. Very predictable. Freedom always bears a cost, not just for the liberator, but for the liberated. Freedom bears a cost. Now, we're all well-versed, and we remain in awe of what it cost our liberator. We've been singing about it. The father paid our ransom with the blood of his only son. We know that. Here's what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning. I want to consider the cost of those freed. What does it cost to live free? Point number one is in your notes. As liberated children of God, we must discover and faithfully live out the life God has assigned to us. 
As liberated children of God, we must discover and faithfully live out the life God has assigned to us. Just listen to these scriptures. I'm going to read them. might help if you close your eyes. If you want to turn to them, you certainly can. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 says this. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Do you hear how personal that is? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. How about 1 Corinthians 4, 1? This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required that stewards be found faithful. As freed children, there's something required of us. It's not just a given that we're going to be faithful. How are we stewarding the mysteries of God? 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And I could go on and on. Look at me, church. Those three verses are a tiny sampling of loads of verses that speak to this one point. There is a cost to living free in Christ. We must discover and faithfully live out the life God has assigned to us. In different seasons, we rediscover what God has for us. Has anyone's situation changed over the last 14 months? I think so. I'm in a new neighborhood. I'm in a new job. I've lost that relationship. That loved one that I used to lean on is no longer with us. When you find yourself in a new situation, you say, God, what in this season? I must rediscover. We've done this as a church. Do you want us to stay in this lane? Do you want us to move lanes? Do you want us to broaden the lane or narrow the lane? God saves people. He calls and knows us each by name. Your parents or pastor will not be giving an account for your life. You will. We will each be giving an account before him one day. Here's what it means, at least to start. It means we don't busy ourselves with comparison or correcting everyone else. Disciples of Jesus. Remember one of the disciples goes, "Uh, what about him? Jesus tells him some really hard news. Hey, you're going to be martyred for for my faith. Like Life's going to get harder for you. What about him? What does Jesus say? In essence, worry about yourself. That's his version of it. How about worry about yourself when Jesus said, uh, talking about removing the log out of your own eye before you go around inspecting the specks in other people's eye. That's the Jesus version of worry about yourself. It also means that we do the ongoing work of discernment and obedience. People sometimes come to church and what they want is they want neo-pharistic teaching. What that means is this. I will give you a list. If you do these five things, God will be happy with you. You'll be living the Christian life and you'll be all done. It is not that simple. It just isn't. I will give you principles, but I can't connect to God for you. There's one mediator between Christ, between sinful man and a holy God. Who is that? It's Jesus Christ. You walk with Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to hear from Jesus and do what he says. Not hear from your pastor and do what your pastor says. Not hear from your friends who are really, really disciplined and read their Bibles themselves and do what they say. 
It also means we seek to please God with the gifts that he's given to us. Here's a little hint, Americans. It is still gospel proclamation season in America. It's daylight. Get to work. Man, move the ball downfield. Are we being persecuted right now for meeting as a church? No. Is it safe and legal to proclaim the gospel in the streets of America today? Absolutely. Brothers and sisters around the world through history would have loved to have the freedoms and the tools that we have right now to preach the gospel. As liberated children of God, we must discover and live obedient to the life God's given to us. Man, this is display, on display here all the time. Do you know each one of us has a gift? We, we live as a church as if God doesn't make spare body parts. We live as if it's actually true that he actually gifts each person. This was on display. Me and Lucas went, we took a couple of students out to lunch. We're pulling back into the parking lot. A guy approaches us. He wanted some information on getting married. Just so happens he spoke a whole lot more Spanish than he did English. He spoke English as well as I spoke Spanish. I spoke Spanish as well as he spoke English. That's how it worked. Now, I happen to know some things about marriage, and I'm married. That was my superpower. That's what I brought to the conversation. You know what Lucas brought? He's not married. He doesn't know that much about marriage, but he has a superpower. What's it called? Espanol, right? He's bilingual. So he starts chatting up with this guy. The guy's face lights up. Turns out he's from, of all countries, Colombia. Well, the two pastors that serve in our Spanish service are both from Colombia. That lit him up. So we got to sit here and chat about different things. And as we got done and he said goodbye and Lucas exchanged phone numbers with him, I just turned to him. I said, man, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here, Lucas. And Lucas turned to me and he said, teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah. Boom, there it is. I mean, it's a tiny little nugget, right? But, but did I come into the office encouraged? God, you're right here. You're just moving all the time in this. They were about to pull away. We were just pulling in for a second. Lucas was going to leave in a moment. Opportunities abound to live out your calling. Again, we live by this conviction that everyone can do something. Everyone must do something. God's equipped you for it. Let me just give you a little vision for this. There's a tangible picture of this that will be on display this summer. Again, I said youth ministry is thriving. We have 30 to 40 students on any given week, every single Tuesday night, seeking God together, playing together, getting to build and grow relationships together. Most of them are here on Sunday as well, which is amazing. Several of them will be serving next hour. Several of them serve just as a, as a regular part of life. We're super excited to announce we're taking 30 to camp this summer. Not just any camp, we're going to Hume Lake, a place of tremendous importance in my own spiritual, personal walk with God. And to get to camp, it's going to cost a lot of people a lot of money. It's a chunk of change to get up to camp for a week. Because of all the COVID crazy, there's been a bit of a time crunch as to whether camp was even happening or not. As to whether it be open or not, you can imagine, just all that stuff. Our team has done just an amazing thing to pull this together. Here's a tangible expression of everyone chipping in. I'm putting out the need today that cost, the cost of camp is $615 per camper. 
And what we want to do is invite your participation to help. There's an opportunity to sort of be an Acts 2 kinds of situation here. We have some fundraisers planned this summer where the kids are going to work. We're going to gather and work and just see what we can do to sort of raise some funds for that. I love how each one's doing their thing. Do you know what Pastor Angel does in his spare time, his tent-making ministry, his job, the job he works and gets paid for? It's making movies. Right away when he heard about uh, the idea of fundraising, you know what he did? He said, look, I've just put out a movie. It just released in Colombia. It hasn't been released in America yet. I'm going to host a premiere right here and give away free tickets for people to come and do the premiere here in the States and advertise it, and all that money will go to camp. God's equipped on hell for storytelling and movie making, and he's taking that gift, and he's going without so that others can go with. Isn't that cool? Some of you are bakers and car washers. Maybe not by trade, but you're good at it, you love to do it, or you know how to do it. We're going to have bake sales and car washes. That's an easy thing to kind of kick into. Some of you are like, look, my time is so valuable. I make enough money at my job. It would be silly to have me bake a cake and you wouldn't eat it anyways because it'd be terrible. Let me just work and give money toward camp. As you can imagine, several of our families have been on furlough or lost their jobs. Instead of just saying, blanket, no, I, my kids can't go to camp, we want to engage with them in conversation and say, what if, what if some or all of that were covered? What if spiritual impact could happen with your kid? Your kid's been coming faithfully every Tuesday since January. Man, what, what if we could step into that, and what if the church were able to help out? Man, there are ways to tangibly do this. I want you to know that as a church, we've been asking questions as an organization, a collaboration of leaders in this local church. But I think these questions are super helpful for an individual and for a family to ask. Just as a person must do the hard work of discovering and staying in their lane, so must every single church. Listen to Ephesians 5, 8. It says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Oh, you engineers hate that. You're like, just give me the formula. Try to discern what's pleasing the Lord. That sounds too ambiguous. Guess what it is? Life is kind of messy and ambiguous. Discovering and faithfully living out the life God has for you requires effort. Number two, as liberated children of God, we fight to remain free. Listen to Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. That's our liberated praying the price. We could never pay that price. Now listen for our part. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Hear that? God's part. We're free. Our part. Stand firm in that. Don't get enslaved again. There's a cost for the liberated. If you aren't intentional, you'll be enslaved again. A buddy of mine, Jason Weber, works on a national level with foster care. He wrote an amazing book called More Than Enough. I'm almost finished with it. I'll give it to you to borrow. I want it back because it's that good. He's talking about the enemies in foster care and how if we have the wrong enemy in our mind, we'll go about the battle the wrong way. In fact, who you are fighting determines how you'll defeat them. Let me give you a couple of known examples. Darth Vader is your enemy. What do you use? A lightsaber. If Jaws is your enemy, what do you use? An exploding scuba tank, right? That's from the 70s. That's, that's old school. That's common knowledge. How about Count, uh, Count Rugen? This is from Princess Bride. You use a sword all the while saying, my name is Inigo Montoyo. 
you killed my father, prepare to die. How about Scar from the Lion King? What do you use? Traitorous hyenas. How about the Wicked Witch of the West? Let's go really old school. A bucket of water. I'm melting! Right? Who you are fighting depends on the weapons that you use against that enemy. Who's our enemy? Who would you guess our enemy is by the headlines? Our enemy is the devil and his minions. Our fight is spiritual. Church, fighting one another in the church is a wicked sin that leaves us paralyzed, worn out, and ineffective. What does Titus say about it? Warn a divisive person once, then twice, then what? Have nothing to do with them. It is a wicked sin. How about fighting with those outside the church? Buying into the tribalism that's peddled? is a huge distraction from the most important matters. And then it leaves us with no fight left when a real battle ensues. Because we've just been bickering and fighting and jumping on every single... Well, I've got to respond to that. I can't leave that unsaid. Yes, you can. Put your phone down. Unplug. Maybe permanently unplug. Jesus came to set captives free. Free from faulty thinking, free from habitual sin, free from opinions of others, free from living up to the expectations of your dead parents, free from addiction, free from vice, free from the crushing burden of being good enough. What does that look like? That's what religion tells you, right? To just be good enough. Here's number three, and band, why don't you come on up? As liberated children of God, we die and live daily. Jesus' offer is a begin-again offer. Born again is not only a one-time event. It's an ongoing reality. I know of no better way to say this than to say what you've heard from my lips many times from this stage, which is this. Rest in the finished work so that you can strive at the good work. What's the finished work? It's the high price tag of freedom purchased for us by our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the ransom paid that we could never pay ourselves. It's from our text today, verse 5. He saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs to the hope of eternal life. But friends, we're not just called from a life of sin. We are called into a life of meaning, significance, service, and now we're able and capable to to do this. This is where we strive at the good work. We follow the master into the field, into the work that he has for us. Instead of closing with reading these verses that are under that one, would you take these home tonight before you go to bed? If you're a family, read these out loud together. Listen for the ping pong back and forth of God in us, God working through us, God working on us all the time. It's a partnership. It's a joint effort. God invites us into the good work that he's given us to do. God, thank you for saving us. 
God, let us never run ahead and think that somehow our striving is for the finished work that's already been done. We don't need to pay for that which is ours in abundance and can never, ever, ever be taken away. God, forgive us for moaning about not having enough if we have found grace and forgiveness and freedom and comfort and friendship and a vision for what life is about, all from you, the Father of lights, from whom all good gifts come out. God, we repent of that. We renounce it. We stop doing it. God, you've taught us as your sons and daughters just from Titus 3 this morning. We read that. We line it up against all the other nonsense we're hearing. And it's clear as day, light and dark. God, I commend our church. I commend my heart, my own life, my family to God and to the word. But you're the one who has the answers and resources for this coming season. Church, we're going to sing this song to the only God right now. It's actually straight out of scripture. It's sort of a a benediction type song. And we're going to close our service with this.